Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Hey, it's good to open the Bible with you this morning. Grab your Bible, turn to Romans in your New Testament, chapter 8. And if you have a bookmark, if they still make those today, if you're not digital, Put it right there and leave it. We're going to be there for eight weeks. Romans 8 for eight weeks. And there's a lot of good reason for that. It said, it said that the entire Christian life, every season of it is found in Romans chapter 8. Did you know that? I've heard people say this over and over again, that the greatest book in the entire world is the book of Romans. And the greatest letter in that book is, is uh, or the, best, the greatest book is the Bible. The greatest letter is Romans and the greatest chapter is chapter, what do you think? 16, chapter 8. It speaks to our past. How will our sins be forgiven? It speaks to our present. How will we have strength to make it through this day and the next day? And it speaks to the future. How will we have hope for the things that lie ahead for us? And N.T. Wright said about it, he said, if the church would hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans 8, there is no telling what might happen. And I want to invite you to, to join me with hope and join me with prayer that he who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever think or ask would do that very thing in your life and in your church and in your community as we study Romans chapter 8 for eight weeks and as we open our lives to the Lord and open our lives to God's work that he would work through us in such a powerful chapter of the Bible and that he would work through us by his spirit. And so uh, as we open to Romans 8, I invite you, it sounds silly, but hoist your sail and let's catch the wind of this greatest chapter in the greatest book. And let me add this, maybe the greatest verse is Romans 8 verse 1. Listen to this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's one amen and the rest of you are just, you're waiting on him so you could repeat it, Right? Like, it should absolutely knock your socks off to hear this line of scripture. Just like pause for a minute and, and take a look at this promise. Because the words in and of themselves should set your heart aflame. It should make your heart flutter. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It should knock our socks off. But I am afraid for a lot of us, a couple of things may happen. Either we hear this and we go, okay, continue. Keep reading, I need to hear more now. Or, we've heard it so much, we go, oh yeah, yeah, I know that verse. And we just kind of move on. And if that's true, maybe it's because, one, we either haven't really understood, we've severely underestimated our lives apart from Jesus. The actual condition of our souls before Jesus came for us. And if that's true, then we have severely underestimated, maybe we've never understood at all, the freedom that he gives a person. Or it may be possible that we've heard this, we've come to appreciate it, maybe it's become so familiar that now it's unfamiliar to us in some weird way, and we just don't know how to apply it to the areas of our life and the moments of our life when we struggle the most. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this verse, if you have got hold of this idea, just this one line from the Bible, if you've got a hold of this idea, you will have discovered the most glorious truth you'll ever know in your life. And then he said this, most of our troubles, 
Most of the troubles that you face and that I face are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse, this one here. And so we'll start here this morning with verse 1 in our study of Romans chapter 8. So this is how you make one chapter last for eight weeks, right? We'll look at this in two parts today. Really, first part being if we have not really understood our deep need for the gospel of Jesus to save us. We'll seek to have a better understanding of that. And the second part being how do we apply this verse into the times that we need it the most? In other words, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number one, what does that mean? And number two, what does that change? Are you with me? Okay, then we'll start with part one. What does it mean? We'll start with this word condemnation. Everything kind of hinges on this. The word condemnation is a legal term. You've heard it. It's a legal term. It means that someone has been found guilty. Say guilty. They've been found guilty for something that they have done. And it's not just the status of guilt. It comes with a consequence that is being handed down. That is condemnation. And everyone in this room knows what it's like to feel guilty. Right? And if you, you don't, then you should feel guilty about that. You should feel guilty about never feeling guilty. You, you should. We, we all do know what it's like to feel, I've done the wrong thing. There was a right thing to do, I didn't do it. There was a right thing uh, to be done, I did the opposite thing. We've all felt that. And the reason we all personally know the feeling of guilt is because we are, in fact, guilty. The feeling of guilt is because of the, the fact of guilt in our life. And Paul has been writing about this throughout the book of Romans, the fact that every single human who has ever lived is guilty before God. We don't like the idea of it. We don't want to hear it. We want to hide from it. I, I really I think this is probably the main reason most people reject God. People who reject God, I think maybe the biggest reason is because if I embrace, if I acknowledge the fact that there is a God, well, that means that God and he has an intent to have a relationship with me. That means that God has a rule. He has a will. He has a way. And I know that I'm not in it. And so I'd rather not deal with the idea of God altogether. But Paul has said in Romans 1, in fact, there is a, a God. And we have to give an account to him. And we realize that we all are guilty before him. And there is a consequence. There is a sentence that hand, that's handed down that every person is condemned. Romans 1, Paul says... There is, in fact, a God. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we're, out, we're without excuse. God has made it very clear that he is present. Romans 2 says it's not only God has made himself clear, but he's made his law clear. Romans 2 says that God's law has been imprinted on every human heart. Chapter 2, verse 15, they demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts. How do they demonstrate this? Well, their conscience and their thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. We all know there's a difference between right or wrong. Every person knows there's a difference between right or wrong. We may struggle with some of the complexities of it in the midst of life, but deep down we know that there's a right and there's a wrong that we deal with. Sometimes we don't know where the line is drawn, but something in our very being knows this is right and this is wrong and everything falls in this or, or that direction. We have a consciousness of it, and you, you can suppress it, you can try to hide from it, but it is imprinted 
upon your heart. Chapter 2, verse 15 says. Romans 3 says all of us have broken that law that every person has. Everyone is guilty. Everyone is subject to divine consequence. Romans 1 says, well, the Gentiles are guilty. Romans 2 says, well, the, the Jews are guilty. And then Romans 3, Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? No, not at all, for we already charge that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it's written, there is none righteous. How many are righteous? There's none that are righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. And the picture here is that there is a moment, a very real moment for every human being that has ever been born into this world where they will face the living God. Every person, no exemptions, everyone at some point will face God. And when we do, we will look at him and we will know there's no mistake, there's no misunderstanding. He is God and I am not. And it says my mouth will be shut. I cannot make an excuse for myself. There is no defense. He's there. I'm there. Verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the, the guilt right there. Here's the consequence, the condemnation. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the condemnation. The guilt, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The condemnation, the consequence, all, uh, all have sinned, the wages of sin is death. We're all guilty. There's none who's righteous, not one. None of us understand. None of us would even know to seek God for help. That's what it says. And we know that. I don't have to convince you of that. That's something we know with our lives. We've broken the law. We can't even break our, like, like keep our diets. We break our diets. It's, what, January 9th? We can't even keep our, our gym memberships longer than, than two weeks. Like, we can't, we can't follow our own rules. We can't follow God's rules. I don't need to, to prove this to you. I've wanted to follow the law of God, and I haven't done it yet. We're guilty. And God is right, he's just, he's pure, he's holy in his verdict. And to say that I'm not a part of this story, <laughs> this isn't the story that I live in, is, is like saying, there's no gravity. Watch me jump off this building, right? And they say, it's not the fall that kills you, it's the sudden stop. I think the fall isn't very good either. And that's the picture that Paul is painting in Romans 1 through 3. But he doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there and say, and the wages of sin is death. You all have a good day. I'm going to write my next letter. No, he starts Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But then he continues it and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And turn your attention to chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, you trying to keep the law on your own could never save you because you do not have the capability of keeping the law. Neither do I. None of us do. Again, I don't have to convince you of that. <laughs> you know it, and I know it. If I could do it, I'd be doing it. But I'm not. 
So God did it. That's what this says. God did it. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, all sin, our sin, my sin, your sin, your, your grandmother's sin, she sins. Your grandmother's sin deserves condemnation. But God in his mercy sent his son in the likeness of, fle- of sinful flesh. Jesus did not sin. He was, he's the sinless son of God. He never sinned. He was tempted but did not give in. But he was sent in the likeness of human flesh. And our sins were laid upon him. And our sins were condemned in the body of Jesus Christ. And there's a big theological term for this. It's called substitutionary atonement. And this is substitutionary atonement. It means sin must be condemned. It has to be. And when Jesus died, our sin was condemned in the body of Jesus in our place and on our behalf as our substitute. That, that's what this here says. Isaiah 53 said it would be just like this. Surely our griefs he himself bore our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves we esteemed him as stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has gone his own way but the Lord has caused the iniquity the sins the brokenness the inability to keep the law on our own the consequence, the condemnation of that to fall on him. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, when, when you're in Christ Jesus, everything changes. Fundamentally, in the very fabric of your being, everything has changed if you are in Christ. And let me be clear about this. When it says in Christ, it doesn't mean the same thing as being in the church building. In Christ does not equal I was doing a logic problem, being in the church building. In Christ does not mean you're in a family that's always been kind of traditionally Christian. It does not mean, in Christ doesn't mean, oh, I'm in a life group or in a Bible study. They're not the same thing. Those things flow out of being in Christ possibly. They also can just be a part of the culture that you are a part of or an attempt on your behalf to to be closer to God in some way. But being in Christ specifically means that you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ where his righteousness, his holiness, his obedience and all of the blessings and the abundance of his life is tied up in your life because you're clinging to him, not by your power, but by his power, you are united with him. And so there is no separation between his holiness and his righteousness and the very, the very fabric of your redeemed being. That's what it means to be, to be in Christ. So Paul doesn't say that Christians have no condemnation because they're sinless, does he? No, it says that Christians have no condemnation because Jesus is sinless. If you're in Christ, then you, his sinless state is applied to you. And I love, I love this line I read from an author in a book. He said, you're going to love this. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. Let me say that again. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. Christ. Now, he loves you to the degree that you are in 
Christ. And for every Christian, that's 100%, 100% of the time. I don't care if you're like brand new. Today is the day. This is five seconds ago. You went, Lord, I give up trying to save myself and I cling to Jesus. You are 100% in Christ just as much as the person who's been walking with Jesus for 50 or 60 years. It doesn't matter how long or how many activities in the Christian world you've been a part of, how much of the Bible you've memorized, how much you've given to the church. If you are a Christian, you are 100% in Christ. And what that, means, what that means is that God loves you on your worst day just as much as he loved Jesus when he sat down and taught the Sermon on the Mount. God loves you and is for you just as much on your very worst day as he was for Jesus when he walked the hill to Calvary. You hear that? God doesn't love you to the degree that you're like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are, you're in Christ. That's part one. That's part one. There is a God. We don't meet his law. We are guilty. Consequence has been handed down. It doesn't stop there. Cling to Jesus. Quit trying to prove yourself. Allow his righteousness to be applied to you and experience no condemnation. Part two, it goes like this. It goes, but Kevin, I'm a Christian. I mean... I, I, I believe I'm in Christ, all of that's true, but I feel guilty. Yeah? I don't feel no condemnation. I'm a Christian, but I, I still feel condemned in my life. Well, yeah, you're not alone. Me too. In fact, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, Paul too. Romans 7, 15, for I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. I can't seem to get it right. I can't live the Christian life like I ought to. Verse 24, he, he uses this word. He goes, oh, wretched man that I am. And that feels a lot more home to me than no condemnation a lot of the time. I, a lot more of the time, identify with, oh, wretched man that I am, then there is no condemnation. I've been set free. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes? How many times a week could you just kick yourself for things you've said and things you've done, and you're just consumed with embarrassment, with guilt, with shame because of, of those things? And that's what Paul is doing. In Romans 7, the, the struggles and the frustration about the struggles and the, the shame that goes along with that has just, it's finally broken through the surface. And Paul says, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so wretched. And we know this feeling. We know the feeling of guilt. And we've talked about the word guilt this morning, but I think guilt and shame are related, but they're not exactly the same. Guilt is about the things we've done and not done, right? It's about our actions. But Shame is a different animal, and it's powerful and scary and dangerous. Shame goes deeper than actions. It, it cuts down into who we are. Shame is powerful because it's about identity. And shame convinces us things about ourselves that may not be true. Shame tells us that we are condemned. Shame tells us, whispers in our head, you're not enough. You'll never be any better than this. You'll never be good enough. You'll always be like, like this. That's what shame does to us, and a lot of us, even though we, we have the promises of freedom in Christ, we don't feel free. And so, because we don't feel free, you might say, well, Kevin, there, 
fear, in fact, is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus sometimes, right? You you might say that because you feel that. And I feel that. Sometimes it seems like there is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What I want you to hear, what I need you to understand this morning, is that that doesn't come from God, okay? Christian, when you feel condemned, when you feel shame, that does not come from God. God's aware that you're going to struggle with that. The Bible knows that you're going, to, you're going to feel that. And the Bible shows us at least three ways that we are burdened by the weight of shame. We are burdened by the weight of condemnation even when we have been set free. It doesn't come from God, but it points us to places that it does. But first, I want you to see this. When I feel this shame and this guilt, I don't know how you deal with yours. Um, I found that most people, how I deal with it. I deal with it in two ways, two traps, shame traps, we'll call them this morning. I get caught in them, I get stuck in them, and it's hard to get out. One's the performance trap. What I'm talking about? The performance trap is what takes us back. It takes us back to where we, we feel like we have to prove ourselves. We have to prove ourselves worthy of God's love, prove ourselves as acceptable to God. We have to earn God's blessing in our life. We have to earn the no condemnation status. We have to earn being set free. And when we don't hit the mark, we're afraid God's going to obliterate us. He's going to take things away. He's going to hurt us. He's going to damage us. Some people are even convinced God will send me to hell if I don't perform right. And when something bad happens in your life, when you're caught in the performance trap, you begin to wonder, what is God paying me back for? What did I do? Why is God putting me through this? He's putting me through this because I didn't do this right. Related to the performance trap is the pretending trap. Performance trap, pretending trap. The pretending trap is where you act on the outside like everything's all together when you know on the inside it's just not. And we get caught in that trap. That's why we put all the good stuff on social media and none of the bad stuff. And even the good stuff isn't good enough, so we have to put a filter on it. So everyone will believe everything's cool when it's really not, not so cool. And both of these, this is how we deal, how I deal with the feelings of shame that still exists in me at times even though I've been set free, I perform or I pretend. It's how I deal with struggle. It's how I deal with weakness in my life. And both are like, you've been wondering why this is here, both are, are like a, a beach ball. You've all had this experience, you try to hold a beach ball under the water, maybe you're trying to keep it from someone or under the, you know, keep it from the kids or hide it and you sit on it or you stand on it and put your feet on it and try to push it all the way down to the bottom. Under the surface, people don't even know it's there. But then occasionally it wiggles free and it pops up. And you grab it and you shove it back down under the water again, right? It's a performance trap and the the pretending trap. And we've all lived that mad scramble to try to pretend it's okay. It's all good. I'm doing good. You're doing good. Everyone is good. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good, right? But we struggle. The Bible helps us with this. It helps us to see how, how God understands our struggle and where the root of this shame comes from. Here's three verses for you. Take a picture of these or write them down. 1 John 3, verse 20. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. And John 8, 
verse 11. Take a picture, write them down. You're going to go back and, and read all about these later this week. I have confidence in you. You're going to do that. Let me run through them quickly in case you run out of time this week. Here's the first one. 1 John 3 tells us that our own conscience, our own hearts war within us. 1 John 3.20, it alludes to this. Whatever our heart condemns us, in whatever our heart condemns us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yet our hearts are attempting to condemn us. But remember, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This alludes to the fact that there are times in our life where we rehearse over and over again our mistakes and our failures. We, we, we put them on, on repeat and we play them. Sometimes it's through the day. A lot of times it's at night when we're laying in the dark and we're not able to sleep, right? A lot of times it's when we know there's a thing to do, but we go, oh, every time you've tried to do the thing, you haven't done it right. You should just give up. Our hearts try to condemn us with shame over our past failures. That doesn't come from God. God is able to over, overwhelm and overcome these things. But we try. We try harder to do better, to hide better, the performance trap, the pretending trap. And many of us live like this with these things hanging over our heads or, or just hiding under the surface. And we feel, we feel condemnation. Second one, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, our very real spiritual enemy accuses us. Here's, here's 1 Peter 5, 8. You, church, Christian, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, be watchful, be ready. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. And every time you come across the devil, every time you come across Satan in the Bible, he is the accuser, he is the opponent, he is the adversary. And in Revelation 12, he's called, listen to this, the accuser of our brethren, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's the accuser of our brethren. Here's his activity. He who accuses them before our God day and night, he's always at it. And he echoes in our hearts and our minds the thing that we already know, that God has a law and that we're not up to keeping it. And he uses that to shame us. He loves to use that to fool us into believing that we are condemned. He loves to, to use that to trap us into believing that we are, Paul's word, wretched people. He's the accuser and he wants to prove to us or to convince us that God wants nothing to do with us. We have an enemy. That's not God. We have an enemy. Satan's accusing us day and night. Here's a third one. John 8. It's a story that tells us about how other people, it's a reflection, it's a mirror of our, of our day to day. How people, other people judge and condemn us. And, and John 8 is this moment where um, the adulterous woman is dragged out by the Pharisees and thrown down at the feet of Jesus. And if you read the story, you get the sense that the Pharisees didn't care about this woman at all. They really didn't care about her sins or her brokenness or her pain or anything. She was an object to them. She wasn't a human being. She was a prop to them, thrown down at the feet of Jesus in hopes that he might trip over her and fall on the wrong side of what to do with her. They throw her down and say, look what she has done. You know, the law says we should be able to stone her to death. What do you say, Jesus? And in the story, powerfully, beautifully, profoundly, almost gently, Jesus says, kneels down on the ground and kind of scratches around and he says, okay, well, I guess whoever of you has never sinned, start the process. 
And as they heard his words, one by one, they began to walk away. And Jesus stood up and he looked at the woman. I don't think the Pharisees looked at the woman. You don't get the sense that they saw the woman. Jesus looked at the woman and he saw her. And he spoke to her and he said, woman, where are they? Are there none who accuse you? And she replied to Jesus and said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. This is the world that we live in. And this is something that we do all of the time. We walk into a room and within moments, we've sized everyone up. We walk in and we're like, oh, better than that one. (laughs) Uh, That one's a little better than me though. And we're looking around and and immediately starting to judge everyone by whatever standards are are in front of us at any given moment. Whatever room we're in, whatever standard is the, the acceptable standard for that little piece of society and we're measuring everyone up against it. It is an age of criticism and condemnation and we've been on both sides of it. And Romans 8 says that there is no condemnation in all three of those situations. That when our hearts try to condemn us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when our enemy, Satan, the tempter, tries to tempt us to despair, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when other people look at us and they judge us and they isolate us and they criticize us and they say we're not good enough, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when Paul says this, he doesn't mean that, that you're not condemned only in this moment, like you're getting a pass because you messed up this one time. He means not ever again. It's stronger than that. That it's not even a possibility for you to experience or to live in condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. No charge can stand against you. No, no accusation will we'll hold you down. That's not because we don't deserve condemnation. Apart from Jesus, we are in deep trouble. But Paul says, if you are in Christ, there should never, ever again be any fear or apprehension when it comes to, what's my relationship with God? How does he feel about me? Where am I headed in my life? What is my eternal destiny? And who am I? There should be no fear, no apprehension at all if you're in Christ Jesus. And I want you to hear, see this. When Paul cries out in chapter 7 and goes, oh, wretched man that I am. He doesn't finish the sentence by saying, how will I fix myself? What must I do to be better? He says, who will deliver me? Who? It's not a what. It's not a how. It's who will set me free from the body of this death He knows that the answer doesn't come from within us. It comes outside of ourselves. It comes from a person, and his name is Jesus. And so when it feels like you don't measure up, when there's a whispering from an enemy or from somewhere in your past or from people around you and says, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be more than you are. You don't measure up. Don't double down and try harder to be better or hide better. Lean in to Jesus. And experience his, his freedom. And I want you to notice the tense that Paul uses in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is, when? Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's now, it's not later when you get stuff fixed in your life and, and clean it all up, right? It's Paul right now in the middle of his wretched 
statement. <laughs> right now in his, I can't do anything right statement. In the middle of your struggle, in the middle of my struggle, that's when there is now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the middle of, of the mess. And I want to try something because um, this is a, a very personalized confession from Paul when he, he moves from chapter 7 into chapter 8. The experience is very personal. It's, it's deeply doctrinal. You can tell that. It's also very personal. And it is a truth that can and should be applied personally to your own life. And so in just a second, I'm going to have you stand, not yet, but I'm going to have you stand with me. And we're going to read verse 1 and verse 2 together out loud. Uh, and as we do, standing and speaking, I've put a couple of blanks in there for us to insert our name. I'll show you what this looks like. We're going to read this together. We're going to say, therefore, there's now no condemnation for, and then you're going to say your first name out loud. Not your neighbors, not your moms or dads or your dogs. You're just going to say, you're going to say your first name out loud in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has said, and you'll say your first name again, set you free from the law of sin and death. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you can do that with me. So stand where you are if you're able and willing. And I'll say one, two, three, go, and we'll start, okay? One, two, three, go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for Kevin in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set Kevin free from the law of sin and death. Spirit, would you help us to believe it? And you understand that the, the power of verse 1 has nothing to do with what you do or have done or will do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done on your behalf. It's about Him and His grace given to you in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your inability to do the right thing, in the midst of your wretched moment. It's about what He has done for you. Grace is available to you. And that grace doesn't give you a license to kill, to go on sinning. Romans 6 says, what then shall we sin more that grace may increase? May it never be. How can we who have died to sin still live in it, still walk in it? No. But grace is always available to you in the moment in Christ, now and forever. I want to make sure that you understand the potency and the power and the beauty of this verse and I heard a pastor say this, and I, I wanted to share it with you to end this morning. It's a litmus test. He said the litmus test of whether or not you understand the gospel is what you do when you fail. Listen, when you fail, do you run from God and go to try to clean yourself up a bit before you come back into the throne room? Or do you approach the throne even in your failure, even in your feelings of shame? Do you approach the throne of grace with confidence? If you don't, if you don't approach the throne of grace with confidence, you don't understand the gospel. Listen to this. You are most offensive to God when you come to him with all of your efforts when you're still trying to earn what's freely given. When you're disregarding the Son of Christ, Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to earth in the likeness of, of human sinful flesh, did not sin, but came, our sins put upon him, condemned, our sins condemned in the body of Jesus in our place, and yet you go saying, let me push all that aside for a minute, because I tried really hard today. 
in Jesus, you're a righteous sinner. It's a weird phrase, isn't it? These words don't sound like they belong together. Righteous sinner. Reality is it's not an either or situation in this life. It's a both and situation until Jesus returns. It's something we will live with until the day that he, he returns and wipes away every tear and takes all of the brokenness away for good and forever. And so as you struggle, remember there is no condemnation from God for all who are in Christ Jesus. And fix that truth deep into your soul. Can I pray for you? God, this morning we come a people humbled by the gospel. We come a people who in the hurry of life in 2022 with all of the knowledge, all of the technology, all of the capability and all the riches that are afforded to people who live in this day and this place that we live We come ready to serve ourselves, to be the captain of our own destiny, to direct our lives and to pretend that we're God, thinking that we can carry the weight of of the world, the, the weight of our lives. Sometimes we do it unconsciously. We just, we just do it. I will make a way, but we cannot. And Jesus, that's why you came. You came to be not just a baby in a manger, but to be a king. You said, no, this is the reason I came, to be a king, to sit on a throne. And the way to that throne was the cross. May we be humbled by the sacrifice that you made to give us life, to set us free. May the concept of freedom resound in our bodies and our minds more than the concept of condemnation. John 10 says that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy all of the good that you're seeking to do in us, but you, you came that we would have life and be made fully alive. So help us when we get caught in these shame traps of performing and pretending when we are, are burdened by the weight of condemnation to realize it doesn't come from you. We may be pressed, but help us to not be crushed. We may get struck down by the world. Help us not to be destroyed, not because we're strong, but because you're strong. And help us to have faith. Grow our faith that you will sustain us and you will lead us and you will guide us perfectly into the future. If there's anyone here this morning has not come to a moment when they have given the throne of their heart and the crown of their life to Jesus. I pray this morning would be the day, Lord, would you speak to minds and to hearts today? Would you give people fear, relieved by uh, faith and a perfect God who would leave eternity to enter time and leave glory to put on humanity so that we could experience life and life abundantly. And may we go from this place today a people redeemed, a people changed, a people enlightened, people free from burden and the words that we're about to sing that we would walk from here with no guilt in life, no fear in death, not because we're strong but because you're strong and the power of Christ resounds in us. All glory to Jesus. Amen.